0: Well I'm hopeful we're getting close to the bullseye in this series, Every Story Whispers His Name. It has been my hope that two things would happen. Number one, that our confidence in the Bible as a divinely authored book would deepen, and that our love for Jesus our Lord would deepen. So if you will indulge me once again today, I want to start by reading to you from my four-year-old granddaughter's storybook Bible, and today we are introduced to the forgiving prince. Jacob had 12 sons, but of all his sons, Joseph was his favorite, one day... Jacob gave Joseph a splendid new robe. It was beautiful and rich with all the colors of the rainbow, but it made Joseph's brothers jealous. They wanted rich rainbow robes too. Then to make matters worse, Joseph kept on having these special dreams. I dreamed I was the greatest, I was king, Joseph told his brothers. And you all bowed down to me. Now I'm sure you know, even if Joseph didn't, that telling your brothers things like that isn't a very good idea. Joseph's brothers hated him even more. They wanted to kill Joseph and his dreams. And one day that's exactly what they tried to do. They tore Joseph's rainbow robe off him and sold him to slave traders for twenty pieces of silver. The traders took Joseph to Egypt and made him into a slave. The brothers went home and lied to their father, telling him that Joseph was dead. That's the end of that dreamer, they thought, but they were wrong. God had a magnificent dream for Joseph's life, and even when it looked like everything had gone wrong, God would use it all to help make the dream come true. God would use everything that was happening to Joseph to do something good. Meanwhile though, things were not looking good for Joseph in Egypt. He was far from home and from his dad. Then he got blamed for something he didn't do, and even though he had done nothing wrong, he was punished and thrown in jail. But God had not left Joseph. One night, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had a scary dream about thin cows gobbling up fat cows. What on earth did it mean? He didn't know. But Joseph was a dream expert, so Pharaoh sent for him. It means a famine is coming, Joseph explained. There won't be enough food. Pharaoh was so pleased by Joseph's skill that he immediately took Joseph out of jail and made him a prince. Now back home, Joseph's brothers had run out of food and everyone was hungry. God's special family was in danger. If they didn't get food soon, they would starve to death. So Joseph's brothers traveled to Egypt to buy food. They came and knelt before the new prince. His brothers didn't know that the prince was Joseph, but Joseph knew who they were. Joseph's dream, the one about his brothers bowing down to him, was coming true. It's me, Joseph cried. When they saw it was Joseph, his brothers were afraid. They had wronged Joseph. They had sinned and they knew it. Now Joseph would certainly punish them. But Joseph looked at his brothers, and his eyes filled with tears. Even though his brothers had hurt him and hated him and wanted him dead in spite of everything, he couldn't stop loving them. His heart, which they had broken, filled up with love, and Joseph forgave them. Joseph threw his arms around them. "'Don't be afraid,' he said." Behind what you were doing, underneath everything that was happening, God was doing something good. God was making everything right again. Joseph didn't punish them. He rescued them. He brought God's special family to live safely with him in Egypt. One day, God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father His brothers would hate him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished, even though he had done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good, to forgive the sins of the whole world. Well, don't you think Joseph's biography would make a riveting novel? It would make a captivating TV miniseries. It's just an amazing story. And you caught some of the mile markers of his life as I read it to you, but let me fill in a few more details from the historical account that spans from Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. Joseph, our hero today, grew up as the eleventh son of Old Testament patriarch Jacob. He was the firstborn son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. Joseph's mother died when he was just ten years old. As a teenager, Joseph was his father's favorite son, and his father was oblivious to the rivalry and the hostility in his blended family, and his favoritism actually caused Joseph's brothers to be very resentful of him. Scripture says they hated him and would not speak a kind word to him. So Joseph grew up being emotionally abused and physically bullied by ten older brothers. What can that be like? Until one especially bad day when they decided to kill him. At first they were going to brutalize him, and then they determined, no. They wouldn't shed his blood, but they would just put him in a pit and let him die of exposure. Changing their minds again, they decided to sell him as a slave for 20 shekels of silver, and they returned home and broke their father's heart with a lie, saying Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Sold into slavery in Egypt to a man by the name of Potiphar, Joseph advanced until he became the administrative assistant to Potiphar, that is, until his master's wife, tried to seduce him, and he resisted her advances. He stayed about as far away from her as he could possibly get, but as a scorned woman, she falsely accused him of sexual aggression. So Joseph was imprisoned for thirteen years. But through a succession of divinely orchestrated events, he was not only released, but he was positioned as prime minister in Egypt. The prison became a shortcut to the palace, of all things. Well, Later there was a famine in the land, but Joseph had actually prophesied that it would happen, and he had pre-administrated a plan so Egypt was prepared for it. Consequently, Egypt became the breadbasket, the economic leader of the ancient world. And secular history will bear this out. It confirms biblical history. People came from all over to buy the surplus food in Egypt. And as the Lord would have it, Joseph's brothers showed up to buy grain. And when they arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And although Joseph recognized them, they did not recognize him. Well, Joseph decided to put his brothers through a series of tests to find out if in the thirteen years that had passed whether the brothers had changed. So he accused them of being spies and he put them in prison for three days. And then he threatened their lives if they didn't go home and bring back the youngest brother, Benjamin. And it was at this moment, at this moment, that the brothers openly gave voice to their guilty consciences for the first time, Genesis 42. 21 they said to one another surely we're being punished because of our brother we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life but we would not listen that's why this distress has come upon us Reuben replied didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy but you would not listen now we have to give an accounting for his blood they did not realize that Joseph could understand them, he turned away from them and began to weep. You see, Joseph is not trying to get revenge for how his brothers betrayed him. What he's doing here is he's leading them step by step to repent of their sins against him. God is using Joseph not only to save his family of origin from starvation but also to redeem them spiritually. God wanted to change these brothers from jealous, hateful murderers into men of God, leaders of character who would become the patriarchs of ten of the twelve tribes of Israel, God's chosen people. Well, then Joseph tested the brothers by showing favoritism to the youngest brother, Benjamin. Had a great feast, gave Benjamin the greater portions of food. Now, you know, when you get a bunch of boys together and one gets a lot more food than the others, oh, that sets up attention. But they handled it well. The brothers didn't respond with envy or resentment as they had with Joseph because of his coat of many colors years before. Finally. Joseph planted a silver cup in Benjamin's saddlebag. And when the stolen cup was discovered, Joseph released the rest of the brothers to go home, but not Benjamin. So now, would the brothers abandon Benjamin as they had Joseph? Would they save themselves or would they show loyalty to their little brother? Well, Judah. Judah stepped forward to plead for mercy for Benjamin. In fact, Judah offered his own life in place of Benjamin. Now, this was significant because Judah had been the ringleader of the violence that had gone against Joseph years before. And Judah is the one who steps up to offer his life instead of Benjamin's. And Judah gave voice to all the brothers' repentance and all the brothers tore their clothes, and they threw themselves on the ground in anguish. And Judah confessed their years of secret sin in these words, God has uncovered your servants' guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. And this is a turning point, friends. This is the turning point. The brothers all tore their robes. They threw themselves on the ground. Judah makes this confession And because of their repentance, things change. It's a climactic moment in the drama. Look at Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. You know their wheels were turning. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. And then he threw his arms around Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Do you see it? Once there is repentance, then there can be forgiveness. What a beautiful demonstration of mercy and grace. And do you hear the name of Jesus being whispered here? Joseph is the most powerful person on the face of the earth. Pharaoh had given Joseph absolute authority. And Egypt was the world power at this time. So we have the most powerful person on earth with his ten betraying brothers in his council chambers. Now... Now, Joseph can bring down all of his pent up anger and bitterness on the heads of these brothers, and no one would have questioned his judgment. They deserve whatever he wanted to inflict on them and more, but what does he do? The prince forgives them in a beautiful demonstration of the heart of God. But the brothers can't believe it's real. And so, even after moving their families to Egypt and living under Joseph's care for seventeen years, they still had doubts about his forgiveness. So their father, the patriarch Jacob, dies. And in Genesis chapter 50 verse 15 and following we read, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And he reassured them and spoke kindly. To them, You know, Joseph and Jesus have a whole lot in common. In fact, Joseph has been called the Jesus of the Old Testament. That is to say, the name of Jesus is whispered in the character of Joseph. Jesus is revealed as a forgiving prince, and there are many parallels Both are favorite sons of their father. Both were brutalized and betrayed by their own people. Both were sold for the price of a slave. Both resisted temptation without yielding. Both suffered physically and emotionally. Both began their ministries at age 30. Both extended grace and forgiveness to their abusers. And did you notice the question that Joseph asked his brothers when he forgave them the second time Am I in the place of God? That statement, a rhetorical question, drives home the significance of God's forgiveness. Listen, friends, God is the ultimate forgiver. He is the one who exacts justice. Yet in Christ, He died in our place. He forgives even though He has the right to condemn. Okay. So how do we apply all this? Well, I have to tell you, I don't want us to identify with Joseph today. Oh, sure, there have been times in my life when I've been wrong. There have been times in your life when you have been wrong. Maybe you've been a victim before in your personal life. And the application of this story, when we hear it, is almost always a challenge to be more gracious, to be more forgiving. And there is an application to be made here about the importance of forgiving others. So let me just say today, if there are those that you have offended, you have sinned against and you've never made it right, or those who have offended you, they've sinned against you and you've never gone to them, let's do the God-honoring thing here and let's initiate humility. Let's initiate reconciliation. If you've got a relationship like that, that's one takeaway this morning. We belong together, so let's get together and let's stay together. But I don't want us to identify with Joseph today as much as with his brothers. (laughs) I want us to identify with these dirty rotten scoundrels who probably spent forty to fifty years of their lives living with deceit and guilt and unconfessed sin and doubt and alienation and fear. These brothers who walked into Joseph's court one day asking for blessings without any brokenness. These brothers who walked into Joseph's court asking for food but needing forgiveness. And I think we can be guilty sometimes of asking for our financial problems to be solved or our families to be united, our health to be restored, our marriages to be healed without any thought of confession or rededication. So I don't want us to identify with the forgiving prince today. I want us to identify with the forgiven brothers. When they realized that they were forgiven, don't you suppose that they looked back on their past with some regret? Don't you suppose that if they could have gone back and changed things, they would have? I think that's true for every one of us. When you truly experience the forgiveness of Christ, when you truly experience the grace of God, we look back at our past sins and wish we could do it over. So let's look at the brothers' regrets and let them serve as life lessons for us. These are mistakes that they made that we don't have to. What would the brothers have done differently that is applicable to us? In short, I want us to ask this morning, How should the brothers have lived, and how should we then live? Well, I think, first of all, stop with the jealousy. This was the grassroots of the brothers' problem, their jealousy of their brother Joseph. And jealousy is a very dangerous character flaw. It will cause you to lose the joy and pleasure of living your own life. Now did the brothers experience a legitimate offense? Yes, they did. Parents are not supposed to have favorites. It's very damaging, especially in blended families like Jacob's. But what good did it do the brothers to be resentful over their brother's favored position? It only deepened their bitterness. They dwelled on it. They talked about it. They kept it stirred up among them when acceptance of their situation would have taken them to a much better place than their bitter jealousy. So one of the mistakes the brothers made that we don't have to make in life is to live with jealousy. Secondly, stop the bullying. Bullying came back around and bit the brothers. God's wrath against sin, you see, is built into the human system, and you'll have consequences in this life if you take the path of deliberately intimidating or hurting others physically or emotionally. And parents, if you see bullying showing itself in your child, whether it's the treatment of animals or the treatment of people, the treatment of authority figures, don't let that go. Exercise discipline. Thirdly, watch out for the herd mentality, especially when you're young. I think the brothers made that mistake. It's one we don't have to. I think most people make mistakes in their teenage years, their 20s and their 30s that a lot of times they never recover from totally. There's something about being young that can couple the word foolish with it pretty easily. Now, these brothers... They were young and they were foolish, bad combination. They did things as a group that they probably would not have done individually. People sometimes talk big in a group and then they have to back it up or they look foolish or insincere. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Watch out for the herd mentality, especially When you're young. Well, fourthly, don't be afraid to take a stand for what's right. Now, Reuben is the oldest of these brothers. He's the eldest brother. And when the older, and when the the brothers, Joseph's older brothers, began to conceive a plan to, to exile him to Egypt, Reuben tried to manipulate the situation. He tried to outthink his brothers, and he hadn't mind if they'd put Joseph in a pit, and then he would come back around and get him out of the pit later when everything cooled down. Well, it didn't work. His lack of conviction and his attempt at manipulation didn't work. He knew what the brothers were doing to Joseph was wrong. He could have stopped it. He had the clout. He had the influence, but he didn't step up and use it. Joseph was the eldest brother. He could have said to his siblings, It's not going to happen. And so Reuben had to live with his regrets at not defending Joseph. Don't let this become a regret in your life, lead out. Use your influence. Stand up for what you know is right and true. Speak the truth in love. Swim upstream against the current, especially because that current is rushing downhill a whole lot faster in this generation than I've ever seen it before. Don't be afraid to stand up for what's right and true. Fifth, cover-ups will not salve your conscience. You know, some people might read this story and think, you know, the brothers pulled it off. They pulled it off. They conspired to lie about the fate of Joseph, and they kept that secret from their father for many, many years. But I wonder, as a result, truth was missing in that family. Truth was missing in their relationship with their father. Truth was missing in their relationship with each other. They knew they were living a lie, and their father probably had his suspicions. Let me tell you what secrets will do. Secrets in a family will fracture a family. If truth is subverted in a family, it will fracture a family, hinder relationships. The truth is impossible to indefinitely suppress. Underline that one in your mind. The truth is impossible to indefinitely suppress. If you don't believe that. Uh, ask Lance Armstrong; he could tell you. Six. Living long term with unconfessed sin ensures a hard life. You know, any time anything bad happened to the brothers, they knew it had to be because of what they had done to Joseph. They said, "Surely we're being punished because of our brother." It was this lie. That they shared, that caused them to disrespect each other. It disrupted their family unity. It set the brothers against each other, and it only deepened their feelings of alienation toward their father. Self respect, self respect is elusive when we have unconfessed sin. David lived for too long with his sins of adultery and murder. And in Psalm 32, he pens a prayer. In a devotional time, he pens a prayer to God, and he's reflecting on the time in his life when he was living with his sins of murder and adultery. Here's what he says. "'When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, I did not cover up my iniquity, I said, I will transgress I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And David experienced relief and release and peace when he was confessional. And that's why we read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, this is written to Christian people, not to non-Christians, to Christians. If we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all un. Righteousness. Don't live with unconfessed sin. Number seven, when confronted with the truth, quickly embrace it. Did you notice that the brothers were broken when they were finally exposed? They didn't perpetuate the lie. They didn't try to defend themselves once Joseph revealed himself. They were confessional and they were humble from that time on. They were much different men they were much better men once they were broken. I remember a few years ago seeing a movie starring Harrison Ford called Regarding Henry. It's a story of a man who was a ruthless, abusive attorney. He was an insensitive husband. He was an inattentive father, but he was changed. He was changed while he was in recovery from being shot in a convenience store robbery. Regarding Henry is the story of a man who was radically changed by facing the truth about himself. Have you heard that Shirley MacLaine's adult daughter has a book coming out this month about what a terrible mother Shirley MacLaine was? In an interview, the daughter said she sent the first autograph copy to her mother. She said her motive for writing was not revenge, and it was not money. It was her attempt to hear her mother say she was sorry. That's why she wrote the book, so her mother could read it and say that she was sorry. That was her motive. When confronted with the truth, people sometimes stop their ears, walk out, run away, or ignore it. But friends, listen, the truth is our friend. We should embrace it. Number eight, don't doubt your forgiveness. You know, Joseph actually forgave his betraying brothers twice. Once in chapter 45 of Genesis, when He first revealed Himself to them after they repented, and then again after His Father's death. Now, probably 17 years passed between Genesis 45 and Genesis 50. 17 years had passed between these two forgiveness occasions. The brothers thought that Joseph had just postponed taking revenge on them. And it grieved Joseph. He wept again. It grieved him to think that his brothers had doubted his forgiveness, and there was still this thing between them as far as the brothers were concerned. All those years. All those years in Joseph's care in Egypt, and their fear and guilt are just below the surface. They couldn't believe the prince's forgiveness. What a shame. Jesus does not want us to live with doubt about His forgiveness, about our salvation. Look at 1 John 5, 13, I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, in Genesis chapter 47, verse 2, one of the first things Joseph did after being reunited with his family was to have a great royal feast, the likes of which had never been seen in Egypt before. Can you imagine the expressions on the faces of the brothers as they went from being outsiders in Pharaoh's court, foreigners begging for food, to becoming recognized as the family of the prince? They're no longer strangers, but because of God's grace, revealed in Joseph, they're invited to the feast.